0: Welcome back or to the Grace Church Members Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Rivers. And in this episode, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Scott Mazingo and Jim Taylor to focus on why recovery at Grace Church is a discipleship issue. Jim Taylor has a unique pastoral story and wears a couple hats at Grace Church in the area of care and recovery and our teaching team. And I got to say, during this interview, I was completely speechless. I felt that as Scott and Jim discussed this topic, I couldn't keep up as I took notes. So I'm very grateful we're able to record this so, like yourself, I could replay it. In terms of this episode, to help set the tone, I think it's important to mention that we all have an innate sense that the world is not the way it should be. As believers, we recognize there is only one thing we have lost, and that is our relationship with the Creator. God created us to be in an unhindered relationship with Him and each other. And he's placed eternity in our hearts and made a way for our relationship with him to be restored. As we navigate this interview, I think this idea will be a helpful lens for us to look through for this conversation. And if you're a first-time listener, we're excited that you've joined us. The goal of this resource is to address discipleship issues in the life of Grace Church and discuss how to be more fully devoted to God. So be sure to check out our podcast page at gracechurchsc.org forward slash why discipleship. And on this page, you can access a summary of this episode and additional resources to help you move towards discipleship. Okay, let's jump into this episode with Scott and Jim on why recovery is a discipleship issue. Jim Taylor,
1: tell us a little bit about how long you've been on staff, how you got here, and what are you doing now?
2: Yeah, well, I started in uh, 2006, so coming up on 17 years on staff now. And when I started, I was not a pastor, was not qualified to be a pastor. I was an addict, a liar, manipulator, terrified to be honest with people. And um, the church was much smaller then and desperate for somebody that knew how to work on computers and make videos. So they agreed to pay me. And um, through that process of me coming on staff and getting connected to people here, um, just had a couple of pastors care about me. Some of my sin got exposed. Uh, I was actually addicted to pornography and um, terrified, to be honest, about that. Mm. And, and really over the course of about two and a half years was really the first time uh, that somebody saw me for who I really was. I was an addict. I was a liar. I was a manipulator. I was fearful and still loved me and tried to help me. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that could have happened earlier in my life. But because I wasn't willing to be honest, uh, nobody ever really had the opportunity. So um, God was discipling me, you know, through my work, and, um, which is not why I took the job. But, right.
1: He had other plans. <laughs> that's right.
2: Yeah. So really after I started to um, be honest and work through my own recovery, there was no, we didn't have region then. There was no 12 step process for that. Um, well, I mean, other than like essay or something, but within the church, it's just kind of one-on-one discipleship, right? You know, being exposed, learning how to deal with some sin. And a lot of it at the beginning, you know, um, in, in, Christianity we talk a lot about the heart and behavior and what's the relationship between those two things but honestly for where I was I just had to start obeying and disciplining myself in some ways and then my heart became accessible mm-hmm. you know my heart wasn't really accessible because I think I was enslaved
1: so the word recovery is maybe a new word for some folks so I'm I'm gonna guess that 13 years ago, recovery was probably not in your vocabulary. So, how have you come to understand recovery, and what do you want Grace Church members to really know when they say the word recovery?
2: Yeah. So, if you if you look up the word recovery in Webster's, what you're gonna find is um, one definition would be like returning to a normal state. You know, of health. If we're talking about the mind or strength. Um, it's used in athletic world, you know, if there's an injury, we're going to go through recovery, we're going to rebuild, get that shoulder working right again or, right. or whatever, or uh, regaining possession or control of something that's been lost or stolen, you know, is how that word is defined, which, you know, if we go by that definition, um, everybody's in recovery. And the and I think that's true. And I, the reason I think that's true is because um, as humanity, we've all experienced loss, not just... Personal loss, like some of us have lost people, some of us have lost status or um, wealth or sanity or health or something. But, mm-hmm. but speaking as humanity as a whole, like humanity has lost something. And if we go back to the earliest chapters of Scripture, you know, God created people to be in an unhindered relationship mm-hmm. uh, with himself and with each other. You know, we read in Genesis that Adam and Eve knew each other. There was no shame at that time. Um, They would walk with God in the cool of the day in perfect fellowship. There was no lying. There was no sin. There was no evil. Nothing was hindered. The earth would just obey them, you know, if they wanted to cultivate it and produce something. So that's how God created humanity to have control, to rule and have dominion and have perfect fellowship with him and with each other. And that's what we've lost. Mm. And I really think that everybody in that sense is in recovery and seeking recovery. We just all disagree on what's been lost and how to get it back.
1: How do we think about re- recovery and then a word that people may be more familiar with, which is redemption.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You
1: think about how this two works to go together.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think here's what's here's what's fascinating about the story of scripture, right? God is redeeming. But if you read through Genesis when he created the world, he he says everything's good. That's the word he uses, good. Mm-hmm. But if you read the end of the scriptures, like if you go to Revelation, I don't think we're just returning to what was. I think it's an upgrade, right? Mm-hmm. It's garden plus. It's is moving from good to perfect. Right. Um, where we know that sin, in some form, existed um, after God created the world, even before Adam and Eve sinned, like Satan, mm-hmm. evil existed, right? You know, because of his rebellion. But ultimately, even that's going to be dealt with. And what we see in in Revelation is heaven and earth are united. So redemption is, you know, part of that process. God is buying back, right? He's redeeming. Mm-hmm. He's bringing back. But we're not just recovering what's been lost. Like, it's even better. I think that's where Paul yeah. says in Romans 8, you know, the sufferings of this present life are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us later. And he talks about, you know, I, he quotes Isaiah, eyes not seen, ears not heard, hasn't even entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. So to me, you know, we're, we're all kind of on this process. We all are seeking what's been lost, and then ultimately— there's going to be a day coming where all that is not just restored and returned, but so much more.
1: So, Jim, you're talking about recovery is uh, wanting to get back something that's lost, but the world having different ideas uh, on how to do that. Uh, does that resonate with your own your own story?
2: Yeah, sure, and I and I think that's pretty common, right? Um, we all have this innate sense. I mean, this is where Ecclesiastes three says eternity is in our hearts. Like there's a, there's just a piece built into every person that knows whether you're a Christian or not, it doesn't matter. Everyone knows the world is not the way it should be. We all have that sense. Right. And I think then life necessarily becomes this journey of, well, how do I make it what it should be? Mm -hmm. We all have this longing. We have this idea. It's where we get our sense of morality and justice. It's why we have laws. It's, it's like, hey, things are not good. We all know that. And how do we make them good? Mm-hmm. How do we get back, right? How do we recover? What's missing? What's, what's, the, what's the key to life? I mean, it's just true in every society. It's true in every culture. It's true in every person. And so that's where I think everybody begins to kind of take their own recovery journey of, you see it all the time when, when kids are wounded by their parents. What do they do? They... The pendulum swings and they go the opposite way, mm-hmm. right? And they parent completely differently than their parents do, right? Or you'll you'll have a generation that sacrifices a lot and tries to protect their children from a bunch of pain, and so then, you know, that the pendulum swings the other way, and it just it goes back and forth all the time. People are always seeking how to get back what's been lost. So for me personally, just from some of the pain in my own life, I mean, I tried all all kinds of different avenues. I mean, I tried. You know different drugs i tried alcohol um i tried you know illicit sex and then eventually landed on uh pornography you know and understanding thinking about it years later is because i could kind of maintain one facade right. and look the way i wanted to look but also uh within a few moments have something that felt like it made the world work the way it should work mm. Like, so I could be obeyed the way I wanted to be obeyed. I could be served the way I wanted to be served. I could feel in charge, not out of control, Mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, there's all that sense, right? So if you think about it in that way, you know, the world will tell you, look, if you get a certain amount of money, if you get a certain amount of power, if you achieve this, if you accomplish this, that's what will recover what's been lost. Mm -hmm. Now, as believers, we know that's not true, right? Right? Because what we've really lost is unhindered fellowship with the creator with the god of the universe. And so here's you know if you read through the book of 1st John, the book of 1st John ends in chapter 5 verse 21, he says little children keep yourself away from anything that might take god's place in your hearts. Mm-hmm. And so here's here's the strange reality of all that is we all have some kind of place in our hearts that that's where God fits. Mm-hmm. That's where He should be at the top. He should be at the center. That's what we really want, right? But we have a tendency to fill it with anything and everything. Mm-hmm. And so the strange irony of that is whatever you whatever you put in your life in that God place, that is the thing that loses all boundaries. It just grows completely wild and takes over, right? Uh, because that's what God has to do. Right. God, by his very nature, is an infinite being, which means he, he has no boundaries. He has no needs. There's no end to him. None, he's not contained. Right. Right? So if I take a finite thing and I put that in a place of, that's supposed to be for an, something infinite, well, then that finite thing loses all boundaries.
1: It takes infinite it, characteristics. It, yeah, that's
2: right. It takes over. It grows, and so then somebody ends up doing things that they never thought they would do. They commit heinous crimes or, or sinful acts, or they lie and deceive, and their whole life gets bit. I mean, it's what you see with every addiction, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't, I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol, but people can be addicted to power. They can be addicted to victimhood. You know, they can be a- addicted to some kind of status. They, they can be addicted to their own rightness, their own way of thinking. I mean, it can be be anything, but whatever that thing is, if it's not God, it will take over your life and it will grow out of control. And so uh, we just see that happen with everybody. And part of the beauty of the gospel is that when everything gets out of whack like that, it brings restoration because it actually brings the thing that we were most craving, Mm -hmm. our deepest need. You know, this is what Jesus says in John 17, 3. He says, this is eternal life that they know you, Father, and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's eternal life. Eternal life is not something that starts after people put my body in the ground. Eternal life starts now. It's it's an unhindered. I mean, the, the crazy reality is everyone could have unhindered fellowship with their Creator and live in harmony with other people. That's available now. That's the amazing truth of the gospel is even though I am a sinner and I still sin because of the work of Jesus, I can actually have an unhindered, a completely unhindered relationship with the creator of the universe right now.
1: Yeah, I think about Second Peter 1, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Right. Not eternal life even in the way that we think about the future like we're in right relationship with God, we're justified. So we die, we go to heaven. That's, that's not what he's talking. He might be talking about that, but he's talking about a lot more. He's talking about exactly what you're talking about in the here and now we can do that because of God's great and precious promises. It goes on to say, Mm -hmm. and his divine power within us. And so what we seem to have lacking is a view that God wants something more for us than we can even imagine. Yeah. And it would be terrible if God said, this is my desire for you, but then he didn't give us the means to accomplish it. Right, But he does give us the means to accomplish it by his Holy Spirit, by his word, fellowship of believers. And so it seems like the idea of recovering something and recognizing the um, impediment, the obstacle, the enemy that uh, addiction can bring is, is part of us realizing how to get there. Is that fair? Yeah. And so you're asking us as a congregation um, to have a, a bigger view, an expanded view of recovery that that is is maybe not just the traditional view, as you've already stated, and then a, a, a more expanded view of addiction. Yeah. Which – so what's the – how does that work as far as, um, in your experience, if people are willing to go down this journey with you? So now you get to teach and you get to lead people – We'll talk about specific ministry here in a minute. But do you find that that is a hard sell for folks to identify themselves as addicts based on whatever preconceived notion that they have of what that means? I think it's an
2: obstacle. And I mean, here, here's the thing. There's pride on both sides. Okay, because we're, yeah. we're Explain all pride, that. we're yeah. all prideful people, right? So uh, I may find myself in one season of life, and I hear about the twelve steps or recovery or regen or whatever it is, and I go, "Oh, that's for those people, right? That's not for me. I'm not addicted to anything. I might think that, which is a form of pride, right? Right? Because this is addiction is just a, another term for what the Bible calls idolatry. Mm. I mean, that's what it is. That's a good. That's a good distinction. And, and if you read the Old Testament, I mean that's what the old testament is about. Mm-hmm. It's just about God offering himself, redeeming a people, calling them to himself, saying you can be in a relationship with me and here's what that looks like. And then them putting in false substitutes for mm-hmm. that. Right. And how it destroys them and he out of love has to bring discipline on them, not because he's needy. Like that's part of what it means to be God. He doesn't he has no needs, right? It's not that he's insecure or needs a bunch of people to worship him and affirm him. Here's what I used to say. I used to say, God doesn't care about your happiness. He cares about your holiness. That's what I used to say. Yeah,
1: heard that before.
2: And um, and I realized over time, like, that is probably not true because how can you have an authentic relationship with anyone who doesn't care about your happiness? Mm. That doesn't really work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then we're not really talking about a relationship. We're talking about slaves. Right. You know? So then I started saying, um, well, God cares more about your holiness than about your happiness. <laughs> or I would say, God's not a dream killer, but he cares more about your holiness than about your dreams. And then I heard Matt Williams preach one time and he said, hey, joy and happiness are the same thing. Yeah, same I remember word. the same sermon. Yeah. And, and I, was like, I was like, oh, start over. Okay, yeah, that destroys that uh, theological statement, right? And so here's what I say now. God cares about your happiness. But he knows that your ultimate happiness or joy is impossible apart from holiness. So what did he do? He's been working for millennia to make a way for unholy people to be holy so that they can be in fellowship with him because he knows your happiness is tied to a relationship with him. Mm -hmm. So he's going to go to great expense and sacrifice himself and suffer in this world and walk the path that we have to walk to make that happen, Mm. which is an incredible thought. Mm. And that's, that's where, you know, we, we talk a lot about worship, but Jesus never once said, worship me, but he did say, follow me. Mm -hmm. And so the amazing thing is we have this God who doesn't just sit up in heaven aloof apart from our suffering, ready to press the smite button. He actually did exactly the opposite. He did the unthinkable, humbled himself, You know, became a man and walked the difficult path and actually navigated this broken world perfectly. Like we've never been able to do that. I've never even come close to that. Not even a day. Not even a day. Not even an hour. Right. He navigated this broken world perfectly and yet took all that injustice anyway. Hmm. It's an amazing thought. So that somehow, and I don't understand how this is the case, but somehow You know, you read passage like Philippians 2, which God has taken Jesus. He's given Jesus a name above every other name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, you know, in heaven and on earth, under the earth, to the glory of God the Father, right? Um, He's given him a unique name. We read in Revelation chapter 19, there's a name written on him that no one knows except himself. Like he's exalted Jesus. Somehow he is tied in this grand cosmic scheme a way to exalt his son and show love to his son and glorify his son. And he has somehow tied that to our joy and happiness Mm. so that the two have to go together. And that's unbelievable to me Mm -hmm. that I am most satisfied and I have the most joy and the most happiness when I'm the most connected to him. And then Jesus turns around and promises to share all of his inheritance with us. Right. Like, treat us as brothers and sisters. I mean, it's just, it's an unfathomable thing, right? But I think when you begin to think on that scale and understand those kind of implications of the gospel, then a term like addiction or recovery or whatever, and like, it just kills all pride.
1: Right, because it helps you see clearly that God has this desire for me to be satisfied in Him. He's going to be glorified. He is ultimately interested in my happiness as you said, as you said, but I am constantly pursuing other things to replace him and to fill that spot. That's his alone to fill. Right. right.
2: So that's what idolatry is. Exactly. Right. That, that is idolatry in its basic form is our way of saying, no, I'm not going to accept you as creator. I'm going to dethrone you and I'm putting myself as God, and I'm going to create something in my own image, which is what's so fascinating about the Old Testament scriptures. Whenever you see idols, you know, we always kind of make fun. I mean, maybe not. Maybe we don't make fun, but we, it seems weird to me. I'm like, why would somebody bow down to a statue? Right. Right? But that's what that is in its most basic form is I'm going to create something in my likeness. Mm -hmm. Like God created me in his likeness, in his image, and he put people in his temple. I mean, the scriptures say the earth is a temple of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So where do all the religions get that idea that you go to a temple and there's an image that represents the God? Well, it comes from God because that's what he did, right? He Mm -hmm. created the earth. He created people in his image. He put the people on the earth so that if all creation wanted to know what does God look like, look at these two people. It's a representation, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that Jesus is the exact representation. That's what Hebrews calls him. Right. But that idea that God put his image in his temple. And then when I have some idol in my life, that's exactly what I'm doing, is I'm is I'm rejecting that idea. And I create something in my image, in my likeness, in human likeness, and then I say, you're my God, deliver me. That's, that's the irony of it all is we bound out to something that the scriptures say doesn't have eyes, doesn't have a mind, can't think, can't do anything. And so in all of that, I become more animalistic. I lose my humanity Mm -hmm. because I'm worshiping something that is not alive. Right. Right. And, but it's a way for me to try to be the creator, but I can't really create anything that's alive. I can only create dead things in my own image.
1: And I think where just thinking about pastoring our church, where I see the struggle is we want to have it both ways. Mm-hmm. We want the grace of Jesus. We understand we have a need, but yet we still want to fill our lives with these things and then put Jesus on top of it mm-hmm. and ask him to, to bless it or at least to be okay with it. So we have, kind of all of our, our world, worldliness and then we have Jesus. And so we are we are synchronizing these things, which has been a theme throughout throughout history. Now I'm not I'm not saying that these things are bad. So when I say worldliness, what I mean is putting over identifying with those things. Mm-hmm. I mean we've seen pretty clear through our study of Ecclesiastes that God gives us all these these things for us to enjoy. He just says don't make them ultimate, don't make them gods. Mm-hmm. Worship the God who gives them to you and be content in your circumstance. Right. But we have a hard time being content, so we we have all of these things, and then we throw God on it, top for good measure. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we don't really truly believe. That doesn't mean we don't have faith. But I just feel like we're we're confused. Yeah, we're cluttered. Right. So then, how does how would you agree with that? Is that I would. So then, how does the recovery process for us, you know, addicts of all different kinds, how do we begin to? strip away those things and separate those things so that we can truly be satisfied in god alone Mm -hmm. as our lord savior king how do we do that
2: yeah you know it's a it's a great question um and i don't know that i have a great answer i i do think about isaiah 44 you know in isaiah 44 he he kind of gives this story he says there's a pine tree and a cypress tree that um, are in the forest, and God sends rain, and it it nourishes those trees, those trees grow up. And then you have a story of somebody who goes, and he cuts down the tree, right? And it says with a portion of the tree, he cuts it up into firewood, and he builds a fire, he bakes bread, he cooks meat, he warms himself, and he says, "Ah, I'm, I'm filled, I'm satisfied, right? And with another portion of the tree, He gets out his tools, and he carves out a figure in human likeness. Mm. He bows down to it, and he worships it, and he says, Rescue me, you're my God. So here's where I think the church has gotten off track, especially when we talk about recovery, or not even recovery, just how to not be enslaved to sin. Right, just spiritual life. Right, spiritual life is, um, you know, if you're talking about something like pornography or um, a sexual addiction, then it becomes like a lust management approach. Mm-hmm. You know, put a rubber band on your wrist, and every time you have a lustful thought, snap the rubber band. Right. You know, like, a, like you're a dog and you're training yourself, right? Right. right. I'm not going to say there's no value to that. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, that doesn't address the core issue. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening with something like that in a lust management approach, or like Colossians 2 would say, all these rules about don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. You know, he goes, those rules seem wise because they require strong spiritual devotion and pious self-denial, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Mm. So that kind of approach of don't, 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 stay away, stay away, stay away, it doesn't really fix the problem, Mm -hmm. right? And so we see in Isaiah 44, like there's a legitimate use of the tree and an illegitimate use of the tree. And so the problem with that kind of approach is you basically say to somebody, hey, Scott, I know that um, you'd love to live in this house, and it's a beautiful house, and, it's, and it's, it would be wonderful, right? But you know what? I looked at that house, and I looked out the back window, and you know what I saw? I saw a tree. Actually, there's a bunch of trees. And um, you know what happens when you get around trees, right? You make idols, So, I'm sorry, you can't live there. You can't enjoy all that goodness because it's too close to trees, and since you're an idolater, Mm -hmm. you might make an idol, so we just got to stay away. Well, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is how are you going to have firewood? How are you going to be warm? How are you going to cook bread, cook meat, be nourished, be filled? Mm -hmm. You can't. Because God has created a world, and he's given people five senses, and part of the way that I know God and enjoy God is by enjoying his creation. That's what we see in Genesis, right? I'm going to go put my hands to something. I'm going to work. I'm going to cultivate and produce. It's part of how I glorify God. It's part of my relationship with him as I get to say, thank you, God. This is amazing. And then I get to present something to him, right? And so you strip all that away. Then you strip away the, the marrow of mm-hmm. the relationship. And so what we've got to figure out how to do is we have to figure out how to practice self-care in healthy, holy ways so that we are enjoying the goodness God gives us, but then not taking that and forming it into an idol and making it an ultimate thing that I bow down to and says, I can't be happy without this. So
1: we we talked about like less management. Yeah. Um, We couldn't talk about behavior modification But it seems like there could be some tension between that and what you said earlier about sometimes I just need to obey Mm -hmm. and then my motivation will will follow. How would you split the difference there between Uh, just obeying and uh, trusting God?
2: That's right. It's a great question. And that is a tension for sure, which the scriptures are full of. But I think that's where Peter says you're a slave to whatever you obey. You're a slave to whatever controls you. Mm -hmm. And here's a great biblical paradox is we're slaves either way. Right. I mean, that's what Paul says in right. Romans, right? You're, you're a slave to righteousness or you're a slave to that's sin. Right. Like you're not getting out of slavery. That's right. You're going to be bound in some way, but are you going to be bound to an infinite being who's holy, who has your best interest in mind? Or are you going to be bound to something unhealthy and unholy is going to destroy you? Mm-hmm. Jesus talks about this idea too, that wherever your treasure is, What does your heart do? Your heart follows. Mm -hmm. And so when the Bible, you know, uses this word enslavement, enslaved to sin, I think that is where some of the discipline, you know, part of what I had to do in my own story, and I read this from Every Man's Battle, is I had to starve my eyes for six weeks. Well, that's behavior modification, Right. right? But here's the thing. I was so enslaved, my heart was not accessible. I could not see clearly. I had to just discipline myself to go do something that I had no confidence would work. And then after six weeks, I remember coming to a service one Sunday morning and I just cried like a baby because all of a sudden I felt like my heart was free. Now that's a weird thing to say, but my wife was standing next to me and she was like, what is wrong with you? Hmm. I was like, I I don't know, just, I'm fine. Just, you know, (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. But, um... But at that point, then I had a certain level where my heart was accessible and my heart could then begin help lead my behavior, Mm -hmm. right? So I do think you can become so entrenched in your idolatry or you can become so dominated by your addiction that you're just living like an animal. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, somebody just has to come in and intervene and there just has to be a, a, it's like a detox Right? It's a period of time where I, where you get free and all of a sudden you can think again mm-hmm. and you begin to move and then you can experience the goodness of God in relationship with him and with his community and enjoy those things where they don't just completely, if it's grown out of bounds, mm-hmm. there has to be a shrinking. right? There has to be a reorientation of all that and a lot of that is just... Starts a discipline, which is a big question that people have when they come into recovery. And we're like, hey, here's a book with a bunch of homework. Right. And they're thinking, how can homework help me with my drinking problem? Well, what they don't understand is the homework is just a tool to connect you to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And anybody who spends a year connecting with Jesus every day, well, what happens over time? They find what they're really looking for And then their need for the alcohol or the sex or the drugs or the anger or the control, like it just, it goes away.
1: Yeah. I want to talk about how regen helps the accessible heart. Um, But let me share this illustration that was shared with me years ago that I have always clung to. And it's, it's about Passover and it's um, basically about the death angel, the blood over the doorpost. And you think about the Jews that are living interspersed among the Egyptians and you think about the you know the the angel of death going into the egyptian household and there's idols on the altar and there's no blood on the doorpost and there's death in the house and then they go to the next house the egyptian house and there's, there's idols on the altar there's no blood on the doorpost there's death in the house and then they go to the jewish household and what do they find they find idols on the altar but they find blood on the doorpost and so there's salvation. And, and so just a picture of, of God's grace through obedience by faith when you're all messed up and all whacked out yeah. and, all, and looking for all of these God substitutes, there has to be a moment of faith where we are saying, I don't really know how all this works, but I am making my heart accessible. And I could imagine the salvation that occurred to that family the revelation of god as savior that that began the transformation process mm-hmm. and so i just that brings great comfort to me that i don't have to have my 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 mantle my, <laughs> clear you know yeah. like i don't have to clean myself up before the recovery <clears throat> process can start that's
2: right that's right you don't clean up to take a bath that's right? the way i heard <laughs> right
1: it. so tell us about how this idea of, of regen and, and this specific program, how does it connect with people who have, are trying in the process of trying to make their heart accessible for change?
2: Yeah. And that's work that God does, right? I mean, that, that is where we have to say, Hey, this is not something that we can control and go do. And part of that is, you know, the, the great, Um, irony of Scripture. I mean, the the reason Jesus taught in parables is to not only reveal truth, but to conceal it from people who (laughs) were proud and arrogant. And so it's the humble people that get in, right? The people who are humble enough to say, I'm broken. I can't do it. I need something outside of myself. Jesus, I need you. Like, those are the people that get in, right? Right. Um, which you just read the Gospels and you get very clear on that fact. I mean, which is why Jesus challenged the religious leaders so much. He's trying to help them see their need, right? But those are the people that ended up murdering him. right? I mean, it was the good Christian people at Grace Church that killed Jesus, right? It was (laughs) uh, was people at the Billy Graham crusade that killed Jesus. I mean, it was, we're not talking about evil Roman pagans, right? Right. It was the religious people. Trying to do the right thing. Yeah, it was us. And so that's where grace is a threat to us, mm-hmm. right? Because we all are self-righteous and we want, to, we want to work and earn our way. But at some point, this is work that God does. And when I'm able to humble myself and go, I don't understand how this can help me. I don't understand how all this can work, but I'm, go- I'm willing to humble myself and submit to a process. I mean, I just think that kind of humility is, is an invitation of, of God into your life. And I just, and that's the deal. Whether it's in regen or anything, any Mm -hmm. aspect of life, that kind of humility to go, I can't handle it. Jesus, I need you. I'm just, I'm just gonna do what what these people tell me. Mm -hmm. This this is where you brought me. I'm just, I'm just gonna obey, right? And I think, I mean, I've seen God meet people there in amazing ways, amazing way. Because there's nothing special about regen, right? It's like it's not some kind of like pixie dust magic formula. Whatever, elixir, you know, drink this and you're going to be cured. And I, I mean, that's the thing that people find. Like they come into region and we have a list of 120 common struggles, which you can pretty much find anything on there. And the, the more I look at it, the, the bigger my list grows. <laughs> right, right. Right? And so it's not about fixing the thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But here's what I think God does in the universe, wh- however he's wired up the universe. I think part of it is he continually brings things into our life to show us you can't handle it. You can't handle it. This life is entirely too much for you. You know, we we pervert that passage in First Corinthians ten and we and it gets paraphrased, God can't give you more than you can handle. And it's very that's crappy theology. Like I think I heard John L. Moore at Watermark say that, you know, it's crap theology. Right. Like this life is entirely more than you can handle. Right. It's far too much. And God brings those things into our lives to show us like we desperately need him. Mm-hmm. And really being in a relationship with him, like the work of recovery is the goal of recovery because it's in the work that you get connected to the creator of the universe.
1: The work is the goal.
2: Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. The goal is not to fix the thing.
1: Or to graduate, fix the thing, check it off, be able to graduate and become a, a, a mentor, right. graduate and become a group leader. Like it's it's not a stepping stone. That's right. It's a journey in and of itself.
2: That's right, because in that journey is where I meet God. Right. And if I meet God and I'm walking with Him and I'm experiencing His healing and I'm learning to trust and I'm seeing Him work, what more do you need?
1: Yeah, the goal, as we stated from the very beginning, as really what drives the entire desire to have these conversations is to draw us back to devotion to God. Love God, love one another. Like, that is always... The goal. And when we begin to substitute good things, ministry things even for those for that goal, we're missing the mark. Yeah. And so I, I love that. Devotion to God that's found through the work, through the journey, through the recovery of our true identity, of our soul satisfaction in God alone. I mean, that is that that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Well, Jim, this has been great. I really appreciate your clarity of thought, your insight. And so for someone who's listening and they're, they're like, yes, I, I need this. I need recovery. I'm an addict. What would you tell them specifically related to Regen?
2: Regen can't fix you. 12 steps can't heal anybody. Only Jesus heals people. So you need Jesus, and the time is now. Just start. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just show up, start the process. So what
1: we need you to do is get connected to your responsible pastor, your campus pastor, someone at the Connect team, with the Connect team on your campus. Uh, Get the details, the where and when. We have a lot of people on the same journey, and we want to bring you into um, just really that fellowship as we all seek greater devotion to God and devotion to others. So, Jim, thanks so much for being here. Excited
0: to see what God does through this. Well, as we wrap up today's conversation we want to thank you for joining us we realize that listening to a podcast episode can be an individual experience which we believe is only enhanced by talking through it and applying it to life and this is something that we believe lots of people don't naturally seek out or have built into their lives so we want to encourage you to share this episode with someone else and ask them to share with you any takeaways they receive from listening. Be prepared to do the same and approach their feedback with a posture to learn and apply. This is a great way to move towards this discipleship issue. Be sure to subscribe to your favorite podcasting channel so you can be updated with each new episode. And if you have questions or want access to any additional resources to help you dive deeper into this subject, be sure to check out our podcast page at gracechurchsc.org forward slash Why Discipleship. And if we can help answer any questions about this episode or want us to discuss something in a future episode, email us at ydiscipleship at gracechurchsc.org. Thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to joining you in the next episode.